friends. We are your hosts, Leanne and Llewellyn, and welcome back to the One With Friends podcast. It is us again. <laughs> back Just at the it. the two of us. <laughs> we can make it if we try. I feel like we need to count how many times you've done that since starting this podcast. Wait, have I done that a lot? <laughs> I legitimately I'm just thought sure that that was the first time I've ever sung this song on this podcast. No, no, definitely oh, not. Oh, no. Guys, it is not going well here. <laughs> we are descending into chaos. <laughs> um, <coughs> well, I don't know where to go from there. I just got called out. I'm feeling embarrassed. Lee, no. Llewellyn, take it away with, I almost called you Leanne. That was dumb. Uh, take it away with the episode recap. Uh, while I recover. Yeah. All right, guys. This week, we watched The One Where Rachel Quits. So this episode was written by Michael Curtis and Gregory S. Malins, and it was directed by Terry Hughes and originally aired on December 12th, 1996. Mm. After quitting her Central Perk gig, Rachel worries she'll be jobless long-term, while Joey's job selling Christmas trees upsets Phoebe, who becomes distressed over leftover trees. Awesome. Love it. So we go into the soft open, where Rachel, essentially the main plot point is that she gets told that she has to get retrained at being a waitress. That... Which... She's been for at least, what, two years, I think Chandler says? Yeah, I think you're right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. Yeah, they pretty much, he he essentially says, hey, Rachel, you know how when new people come in, they get trained by someone by following them around? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You want me to do that for someone? He's like, no, we actually need you to do that again. <laughs> um, which is insulting. And probably frustrating. And she's probably a little embarrassed because she's like, can you believe that? And Chandler essentially, he agrees. He's just like, yeah, actually. (laughs) But I mean, his whole expression there, though, like he was trying to be (coughs) nice about it. Yeah. And you could tell he's like, I want to say something else. But mm, yeah. 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 <laughs> it was funny. It's almost like he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He really doesn't know what, like, does he agree with her for the sake of agreement? Does he say it like it is? He kind of seems to struggle for, like, a second on what to actually say. Yeah. Yeah. We, is that, I mean, that's pretty much it for the soft open. So the main bulk yeah. of the episode, this main um, segment, essentially, We start in the apartment hallway where a girl is selling Girl Scout cookies. She has just sold a box. And she does her little whistle with her little head bird flap, which is like a bird salute. Is Would would that be how you would like classify that? Because they're, yeah, because they're called brown birds. Yeah. So if you had to like categorize whatever that hand motion is, I'd say it's like a bird salute or... And while she's signing off, I guess, with this bird salute with this neighbor, we see um, Chandler and Ross on the way in. They're talking about tennis, which it's funny 
that Ross is the one telling Chandler how to play when in reality Matthew Perry is a what uh was at one point obviously it's not at this moment but was a top ranked junior tennis player so it's just funny how they've inverted the storyline and had Ross be the expert on you know tennis yeah these guys just in general don't really strike me as the let's go play tennis type no not at all and it's so it's sort of a weird but i guess this is really the only we did just come from an episode where we watched them all play football so i guess like it does make sense maybe it's after the holidays they're like we need to shed some of our thanksgiving weight let's go out and get active and play some tennis and while ross is explaining his side of his you know tennis expertise apparently uh he like swings his racket and they apparently did not hear behind them that this little brown bird was probably going up to the next floor to start her next rounds and ross broke the girl's leg which is revealed immediately in the next scene in the cafe yeah where the friends are promptly making fun of him for injuring a little girl Mm -hmm. What gets me is Chandler, and he's like, hey, this newspaper says that a Muppet got whacked on Sesame Street last night. Where were you at at approximately 10 p.m.? <laughs> As if all of a sudden Ross is just, like, out to hurt people. It's a it's a pretty funny like, yeah. little stint. And, and Joey comes in. Oh, wait, no. He's already there. Wait. I literally just watched this episode. I don't know why this is so difficult. Yeah, he was there. So Rachel gets up to go train. Yes. Okay. She's like, and then Joey stands up and he's like, all right, I got to go to my job now because he just got a job selling Christmas Mm -hmm. trees in a Christmas tree lot because it's almost Almost Christmas. Christmas. And Phoebe is very against trees dying in our living room. Yes. Which is essentially what they do. They literally chop it down so that a tree can come. Like, trees come to your house to die. While we enjoy its final fragrance. It's it's what I would call the tree's final breath. Which is essentially the fragrance that we smell for the month of December. Yes. So, we are all intimately involved in... Murdering, murdering trees. trees and watching literally being witness to trees dying during what we consider at least americans yeah. consider it's the most, the most wonderful tro- time <laughs> of the this is getting me in the mood to listen to some christmas music well it's funny because it is july and <clears throat> people always say that there's christmas in july oh my gosh so. i had this episode named something else i am now gonna name it the one with christmas in july simply because we are go. releasing it in july i love that so much well there you go done. there you go Llewellyn. i try um so, so joey <coughs> yeah. i'll carry yeah, yeah, on yeah. here so joey essentially to try to help phoebe mm-hmm. understand what's happening mm-hmm. And feel a little better about it. So, and I just thought it was so funny, something that he said. Um, basically says, you know, well, the, the Christmas trees, they're fulfilling their life's purpose yeah, yeah. by making people happy. And Chandler continues on and is like, yeah, it's their destiny to live out their life in people's houses. And 
somehow it makes her feel better. Yeah. Which they're fulfilling their purpose. Is they so were born to bring people joy. And that's right. what they're doing. It's their destiny to live to live yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So they like create this whole narrative right. of why it's okay that Joey goes to this job mm. and mm-hmm. pursues to sell trees to people that are just gonna die in the yeah. winter. And they are banking on the fact that Phoebe's a little bit Mm, what's the right word for this? Uh, a, a little bit slow when it comes to group settings and certain language that yeah. they use. I mean, they're they're intentionally yeah. manipulating her into believing a lie so that they can feel better. They, that they can make her feel better about it in order to justify the fact that that's exactly what they're doing. Like, yeah, they're banking on sure. her being a little, like, naive. Naive. Maybe naive's the right word. And, okay. I mean, I, yeah. in their defense, as Chandler pointed out, it is the only time that some of the trees get to see New York in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> also made me want to yeah. go visit New York. Um, one thing I've never done, which I really want to do, is I want to visit New York in like at Christmas time. Maybe not for Christmas, oh, but I want to look at all the window like the shop windows that they decorate. I want to be a part of skating at the rink that's super famous, you yes. know, and go to Times Square and just be amongst the lights and the cheeriness and the snow. Um, I've I've been there in November, early November, and that's the that's the closest I've ever gotten to Christmas, but that would be yeah, really fun. Yeah, same. Uh at the same time as, you know, Joey is you know, begging his friends to essentially help him sell this story to Phoebe. Rachel (laughs) is retraining with Gunther back at the bar. (coughs) He explains the tray area or the tray, the the tray bar, the tray station, whatever they called it. And and Rachel was like, I thought that was a bar that they go to afterwards. I always heard them talking about it. She's really like, maybe starting to self-realize actualization the the whole point of her getting retrained might have some yeah you know merit or some grounds to it and as soon as she walks away you know he's like telling her a point and all of a sudden he goes you know sweetheart it's like the first outward expression of a pet name from gunther (laughs) that we get for for him and rachel this this next scene will will carry a point for me through the rest of of the episode um so ross is visiting this little girl whose leg he broke and did it bother you at all that he is alone with this girl in her room it was a little weird as an adult male she like the little girl is unattended yeah, so by it, her by okay. her overseers. <laughs> I do I do get that. I do think it's a little weird, but if if you think about it a little bit too, as we get a little mm-hmm. farther, she explains she's kind of explaining who her dad yeah. is, so we assume, we don't know, but we assume that she lives only with her dad. Yeah. And so and he doesn't really sound like father of the year. No. Um he gambles, he is gambling like her money that her grandma left her for college. Yep. They don't have a TV. She doesn't want to win the second place prize because her dad will sell it. (laughs) Yeah. 
Like, he just doesn't sound like the greatest guy. So it, you might think, like, oh, maybe he just doesn't think that way. But also, like, Ross, why are you putting yourself in a situation where it's just you and a little girl? Yeah. I mean, the storyline, I mean, you explained it perfectly. The storyline completely checks out. Her dad is, yeah, right. he's not winning no, like, trophies anytime soon. Right, right. But it just had me, like, ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh, ooh that hurts, like... This grown man is alone in a daughter's room, and I've got some major <laughs> issues with that. But, like, not just a grown man, but, like, a stranger. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, you'd have no idea who this guy is. No, like, it's not like we saw any storyline of him driving the girl to the hospital and then staying with her at the hospital. Like, it might have made sense if he would visit at the hospital where you've got doctors and nurses coming in and out of the room, checking her vitals and all the things, but... right. To be alone in her room is is creepy creeps and got me all like weird. But Ross is doing a nice thing. I mean, he's doing it to be, I mean, kind. He feels obligated. Like I did just like break this little girl's leg. And right. and in his conversation with her, he finds out that her real goal is because she wants to go to space camp. And Part of me now, as I'm, I didn't write this down, and I'm just thinking about it. But he probably sees a little bit of himself in her. That even though he went the dinosaur route, like it's almost like they're in two separate worlds, but walking down the same track. He went backwards, yeah. and he wants to find out what happened in history, and she wants like space exploration, exploration in the future. But they, but both of them have this like, I'm gonna probably offend people, but maybe not like this nerd component to it, where like. It's not nerdy, but in the sense of, like, you really geek out on on those types of, like, new things that you discover in either of those sectors. So I wonder if Ross saw a little bit of himself, especially when she's like, I want to go to space camp. And, um, like, it's the one thing, especially in the, you know, revelation of her dad. <coughs> it's the one thing that maybe is kind of give her an escape from that reality to go to space camp. She's doing it on her own. She doesn't have any outside help, especially from her dad. And so I think Rick Ross might find a little bit of himself in her. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very valid and very true. Um, so in as he's, you know, figuring this out and realizing kind of her determination and feeling probably a little bit guiltily responsible for the fact that at this moment, she's not going to be able to make it because she's bedridden and can't go out and sell her cookie boxes. So she is at a 400 box deficit. And Ross agrees to sell the cookies for her, which is something that I can appreciate about Ross. Yeah. I like his, like, go get itness and his willingness to sacrifice his time to, yes, it was his fault, but he didn't have to do it. He's not obligated to do it. So go Ross. Point for Ross on this one. And from here, we directly go to watching Ross starting to sell cookies. And his first, I loved this line, and it directly addressed my concerns in the previous um, uh, scene, which to me was just awesome from the writer's perspective. Because he goes up to this lady's door and knocks, and she's like, who are you? He's like, I'm a brown bird selling cookies. And she's like, you're not a brown bird. I can see you through my window, like, or through my little peephole. Um, and he's like, no, I'm an honorary one. And he's like, she's like, but what does that mean? And he says, well, I'm in, I can, I can sell cookies, but I'm not invited to the sleepovers. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know why that got me so much, but I was like, okay, well done, writers. You addressed my concerns because I was really creeped out in that last scene. But the fact that he yeah. said it was, I thought that was like really great writing. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. But this lady is giving him a hard time. She really is. To the point where he can't sell a single cookie. Not just yes! for her, but to the entire floor. Because yes. as he goes to the next door, she's like, I can still see you. <laughs> yeah, so apparently the old woman who is berating Ross through the door is voiced by Sandra Gould. Who starred as Samantha, long-suffering, nosy neighbor Gladys Kravitz in Bewitched. Um, so Samantha's nosy neighbor Gladys. Yep, in Bewitched. So um, she is, you know, a well-known actress, but she does some voiceover work here. Um, but yeah, so uh, we... Hop over to the tree lot. So we go from one guy selling cookies for free to Joey's job. And Phoebe decides to visit Joey. She shows up and Joey is, you know, happy to see her there. She is finally starting to maybe come to terms with the fact that this is a good place to be. And, you know, this is a tree's happy place. If they're fulfilling their destiny, if they're fulfilling their purpose, then this this is the place for trees to be then for that to happen. And yeah. all of a sudden, this guy walks by with, like, a brown, old-looking tree. And <laughs> she's like, where's that one going? He's like, well, all, like, the old trees, they have to go in the back. And they, you know, essentially, he asks. <laughs> to which she promptly says, wow, that's just really ageist. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, we have to make new room for the nice green ones. And he's, she's like, well, what happens, you know, to those trees? And he goes, oh, well, they get put in the chipper. And she says, well, that's probably worse than it sounds, which is also great writing because chipper yeah. <laughs> is a very happy expression. <laughs> and right. all of a sudden, the noise in the background starts. You hear this melodramatic music happening. And all of a sudden, we get the <laughs> slow-mo of the horror of this tree getting shoved into a wood chipper um, to die a horrible death. It was already at death's doorstep, but this definitely pushes it over the edge. And yes. Phoebe is so upset and horrified. <laughs> so she is. I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but it's just her whole expression was priceless, and the music they used yes. right there—it was so intense, it was. <laughs> and just it just like added to the whole scene. It, yeah, it's really true. Um, now, over back at that—is there anything else about that? Really, I mean, we landed pretty much like no. she's just as upset. We hop yeah. over <laughs> back over to the cafe. And Ross, probably very deflated from his attempt at selling in the apartment complex, um, is trying now to sell to his friends. And, you know, he he sort of forces his friends to buy multiple boxes. So he tells Joey that he's going to buy five. He tells Chandler he's going to buy eight, one for every day of the week of Hanukkah. And... uh, Essentially, it's all centered around, uh, like, like Chandler asks if there's, like, a coconut 
covered deity <laughs> because it's like the Mother Mary, Saint Peter, Jesus. Like it's all these like yeah, saint yeah. sculpted cookies, which is interesting and funny because I feel like very large corporate companies are not selling cookies shaped like Jesus. Um, maybe not anymore. Maybe it was a 90s thing, but I, part of me doesn't believe that at all. And mind you, they did have to make up these cookie companies because, you know, we're, we're edging very thin to the idea of Thin Mints and Samoas. So <laughs> right. we're, we're getting a little gray in the line there. But uh, he, pawn, he pawns off all these cookies and he finally gets to Monica. And we find out from Monica that she used to be a brown bird. And and that's how she gained all yes, the Yes. The original story of her weight gain and where it came from was through the brown birds. Um, any point, any point that Ross gained earlier in the episode, um, to me got squashed in this moment because hundred percent worst brother. Oh my ever. gosh. And I don't know if obviously Courtney Cox did a really great job as an actress in this scene because I really felt her internal need for Ross to not shove that on her. And he kept like he forced his way into her taking home more than one box because she was like one box that's all and i i didn't i didn't like ross forcing it on her at all no it was rude like she was very adamant about i want one box because it it was like a trigger for her Mm -hmm. in today's terms um and he was like no i think me selling these for this little girl is more important than your livelihood. Yeah. So you need more than one. It's like, well, okay, yeah. Ross. So Ross was up a point and now he's back to zero. <laughs> so any hope we had for this episode ending on the positives with Ross is squandered in this moment. Uh, at, at the same time, Gunther is still training Rachel or retraining as she, you know, called out one of the things that cracked me up is as he's about to leave like leave her side and he goes oh and um and the next time we train i'm gonna i'm gonna show you why we don't trap spiders uh, under mugs and leave them there (laughs) has this just been happening since the existence of women (laughs) oh probably and i'm sure i'm offending women out there who like couldn't care less about like grabbing a bug and putting it back outside or whatever but like i i felt attacked <laughs> cuz this is me do you do you yeah. do that at all um i'm very much the person that i have i have to make sure it's dead yes i mean i can't touch it i have to make sure it's yeah. dead but i also have to like work up the courage to kill it okay um, like most of the time they're like, if they're on the floor or like low to the ground, like on the wall or something, I have no problem Shoot. just like hitting it, yep. killing it, stepping on it, yep. whatever. 
But if it's like if it's higher, a, if it's yes, above eye level. Yes. Oh my gosh. Background clapping noises are happening in my brain right now. Yes. It takes me a minute. Like I vividly remember at my apartment back in Michigan. Mm-hmm. This oh my gosh, because you don't live in Michigan spider. anymore. Yeah, I don't. Um, this big black spider mm-hmm. on the wall. And it was like basically eye level. And I saw it from the couch and I, I'm staring at it. And it, it it's like a process for me. It usually takes about <laughs> 15, 20 minutes before the thing mm-hmm. is dead. Um, unless it's moving. If it starts moving, like something triggers in me and I have to kill it. So then I kill it. But I usually stand there with a newspaper or basically anything that's long enough so mm-hmm. that if it at all has the possibility of coming at me, it's going to hit whatever's in my hand before it yep. hits me. Yep. It's a whole process. I get it. But... Yeah, it's, oh, I hate spiders so much. Yeah, it definitely is the above eyeline. Like, eyeline and above is is a different game when you're, when you're messing with insects. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think the process that you're, that you're working through is um, the reconciliation of knowing that you could hit it and it could land on you. And I think the mental preparation for that starts from the very inception of like, oh, there's a, there's a spider over there all the way. Like you have to, like in that moment you start processing that, you know, it has to go and that you realize that it could end up on you. And when it's on you, more than likely you lose eyesight of it because if it's going to fall like head, shoulders, like behind you in your hair, like it. I think you just start processing like this could the bug that's across a room across the room from me in 15 minutes could actually be in my hair and I'm, I need to mentally process that. And that's why it takes so long yeah. from like the start to the finish of it. Well, and I don't know about you, but like <coughs> a lot of the times too, like the, I find the spiders or the bugs or whatever, like in my bedroom mm. at night when I'm getting ready to go to bed. Yes. And it's like, so then you have this whole other process of, like, am I, if I fall asleep with that thing yep. still alive, like, is it going to crawl on me while I'm sleeping? Like, am I going to eat it? Like, I don't know if you've heard that saying where people are like, you eat so many yes. spiders in your lifetime. Yes. And I'm like, I don't want to believe that. Me neither. I'm going to believe that I don't eat spiders in my yep, lifetime. Yep, me too. Yep. <laughs> willingly. Yeah, I think they're all liars. Or unwillingly. Yeah, like, no, that thing is dead, yeah. and if it wants to come out, then it needs to know that its lifeline, or its lifetime, is about to shrink. So if you don't want to die, stay yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, we digress. We digress, but it was all all in good, I think it needed to be said. It honestly just needed to be said, because Gunther, yes. Yes, I am Rachel in this moment, and Gunther is calling me yep. out, and I feel attacked, so... Uh, okay. I just lost my place. Where are we? So that happened with Rachel. She gets fed up and she walks over and Joey and Chandler, I think, are the only two left at this point. Yeah, you're right. And she just talks about how much she hates it. And she's like, I don't want to keep working here by the time I'm 30. Mm -hmm. And Chandler so nicely is like, well... What is the difference of you working here at 28? And it spirals this whole thing on him and Joey basically saying, like, well, why are you still working here then? Your life dream is to do something in fashion. Mm -hmm. 
So why don't you put the fear in yourself and quit your job so then you have the motivation to go after it? To which Rachel, as she should, looks right at Chandler and is like, well, then why do you stay in a job that you hate? Why don't you quit your job and do the fear? And he's like, oh, because I am terrified yeah, of doing I'm too that. afraid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, eventually, essentially the guys are calling Rachel out on not pursuing her dream. Like, she gives a bunch yeah. of excuses that he, they're like, well, how have you actually done that? And she's like, well, I'm sending out, like, positive vibes. And they're like, honestly, besides sending out resumes two years ago, you haven't done anything. And so it prompts her, essentially, based on what you said, to say, like, Gunther, I'm quitting. Like, I'm terrible at this. And so I think I shouldn't do it anymore and so she decides to quit now in the girls apartment um ross and joey no chandler ross and chandler are tallying up the cookie boxes so um they're you know chandler does the whole boobies thing with the upside down number on the calculator because he's just joking around so ross is actually the one that's really doing the work to tally up his boxes At the same time, Monica kind of comes out from either her bedroom or somewhere and wants another box of the mint treasures, which in my mind are the thin mints of the brown birds. And Ross now, creating his own monster, has to cut her off. Uh, She wants more box. She wants more of them. There are no more mint treasures, so she's searching desperately. She's like, I just want a few more. Um, and he's like, nope, we're going to cut you off. And so he makes like a, a, a comment about being like cookies on her neck. Like this needs to stop. And so she kind of goes out of the room. So he he's done tallying up the boxes and it equals 517. That included with the other 75 that the girl had already, you know, uh, gotten on her own equals I should have calculated this before 592 he's literally eight boxes short of 600 at that point buy yourself six, like eight boxes um right. so he's at 592 the last year girl I think that one was in like what the 300s um 475. oh you're right 475 you're right you're right so he's beat the last year record by over a hundred now Chandler's like, how did you get so many of them? He's like, well, I, you know, after the sanatorium or the, you know, whatever thing that was in his museum let out, I stood out there and while everyone was exiting, I like sold it super easily and didn't even really mean to make it happen. He's like, then I realized the secret to my success was the munchies. And he's like, so I went to the NYU dorms around midnight (laughs) and sold a bunch of cookies. Now, I have to think that that was the original version of, like, insomnia cookies. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know what the equivalent of that here would be like, and I don't know if Nashville has one of those. (coughs) But in Michigan, where we lived, insomnia cookies was a place that at, like, 3 a.m., you could order through like DoorDash and Uber Eats these or go, you know, drop in. Um, But I think they delivered specifically on campus too. Um, 
cookies. Cookies at like 3 a.m. Uh, brilliant because who else is up at 3 a.m. But college students. They're studying. They're partying. Right. B- partying. They've got the munchies. And they called him Cookie yep. Dude. And when he did it, he looked like he was really high, like, you know, looking like them. Which I'm sure, like, inflated Ross's ego. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. He's like, I love this. But he did kind of tap into a secret. Like, well done, Ross. Like, you showed initiative. You figured out a new market. You figured out how to capitalize on that. Like, well done. It still doesn't supersede the idea that you forced cookies down Monica's throat, pretty much. But you took some initiative and you made it happen. Yeah. So Rachel comes in and she's kind of shouting at the, not shouting, but I'm, I'm being exaggerative about it, but is like, I need help sending out resumes. And we find out Chandler helped her out with it. And Rachel is sort of aggressively freaking out, but passive aggressive at, you know, Chandler and the guys because of it. He, she starts off with Chandler. She's being like kind of passive aggressive at the beginning and then kind of confronts him directly. And because she doesn't have a lead on a new job. She's like, why did I let you convince me? Like, you were even too scared to leave your own job. And yet I listened to you and left mine, like, because of the fear. Like, the fear. She was, like, really mad about it. And then Joey comes in, and as soon as he does, Chandler takes that as an opportunity to completely bolt out of the room. (laughs) Now, when he says, run, Joey, run... It's kind of a direct reference to the song Run, Joey, Run by David Geddes. Um, so I thought that was like a, a pretty funny parallel. But um, now the the good news that Joey comes in with is that he can get Rachel an interview from a connection through his dad. Now, up to this point, have we were heard? Have we really heard anything about Joey's family at all? For some reason, I thought they like lived in Jersey or something. Um, I think you're right. Is it Jersey or is it the Bronx? I honestly could not tell you. I think we have an episode coming up about his sister. Yeah, probably. But yeah, I don't think we've heard a whole lot about his okay. family. I mean, point. even if they were in New Jersey, if he is some kind of, like, contractor or builder or even a plumber, like, he could have jobs all over the city because, I mean, New Jersey's sure. not that far. But right. I just thought it was interesting that he's, like, we haven't heard anything about his family and all of a sudden his dad has a work connection in the city. Um, I mean, Rachel is very thankful for it, so it's a great, like, opportunity for her. She's, like, you know, she's probably relieved a little bit. Well, I think, honestly, like, this whole scene was interesting. Like, I feel like the fear that Rachel showed was so valid and so real. And, like, the frustration, like, just the whole episode of her, like, being frustrated at the job that she currently has. Because it's not where she saw her life. And it was temporary. Like, being a barista or being, you know, a waitress was temporary. But then somehow it Mm -hmm. turned into this two or three year job and it's like okay well what has happened to the dreams that I've had and it's almost like her dreams are on the wayside because she just needs to be able to make money to live yeah which still at this point like being a waitress you could not afford an apartment like that but that's beside the point um yeah so I just feel like her whole scene here was so valid with the fear and it's like well I'm, I'm, why would I quit my job when I don't even have a lead yet? Like, let me just go tell Gunther, like, I'll stay and yeah. then I'll keep doing this to try to find something. But 
I mean, from my own experience, I feel like that sometimes gets you stuck even farther because sometimes you need that little push Mm. to like get you to go. And I think, um, I think maybe in her situation, she probably shouldn't have quit fully, maybe step back a little bit and then give your dream like a little bit more time to work on it. But I mean, I don't know. I just felt like her whole scene was just so valid and her fear felt so real. And I'm like, wow, that's something that I feel like a lot of people could relate to for sure. Yeah, there is like a creative balance of when when do when a healthy level of fear, I guess, when it comes to things like you're talking yeah. about. And I think you're right. I think when the guys mention it, I think when they originally start talking about it, it's it's communicated in such a way that I mean, Joey honestly was the perfect person to talk about that because acting I feel like would be just like that where oh, you're yeah. in between acting gigs constantly. And you're lucky if you can land a show that the pilot actually gets picked up or the show gets picked up based on the pilot. Like how many how many shows out there have we the world never seen because the pilot didn't get picked up? And so Joey is like the perfect one to talk about it. And then in the same scene, they do show Chandler as the devil's advocate and they make it a joke. He's like, no, no, I was I was. I was too afraid. <laughs> like there is yeah. like the other side where he does need. And we've, um, I think we said that Chandler. No, Chandler was a seven, isn't he? He must be a wing six though. Um, but he, we talk about him being like needing that safety and security. And I think that kind of just gets brought out, but it does in a way that's like, there's two of them. There's like you're always living in between, but then there's also like you can get too comfortable. So I think you're I just I said all that to say I yeah. think you're right. Um <laughs> but but that wasn't the only good news. That wasn't actually the good right. news that Joey came in with. That was like that was yeah. like a side news thing. That was like the post-it note news that he also had in his pocket. The real good news is that he had a snow in a can and he <sighs> wanted to paint Monica's windows. He got it at his job. And it's a way yeah. for the windows to look frosted. Um, you know that stuff looks real stupid when there's no snow on the ground? Oh, It 100%. just looks so dumb on your windows. Yeah. It's yeah. different on, like, you know, those days where it is it is snowy outside and it's crisp and cool and it's like a cold air. Then it looks like it fits right in. But... It looks really dumb on windows when you still see grass in the front yard. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some people use it on like their trees, like their fake trees. Yeah, what do um, they like, what do the, they call the that? What do they it? call that? There's there's a specific word for the process of that. I don't know. Um know. I'm googling process of fake snowing your tree. Now you know my process. Flocking. It's called flocking. I knew that. Dang it. Flocking. It's called flocking. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain product that you obviously buy for that. How to flock a real Christmas tree in 15 minutes. So there's plenty of blogs out there. If you're interested in making your tree look like there's snow on it inside. That also has to be done well, though. Because if you put too much, then you're like, okay, this tree has been inside uh, for the last 
15 days and <laughs> like this looks dumb right there has to be the right decorations on it i think for it to work i'd be curious are were you ever a tinsel person like did your family ever do tinsel okay. no not at all uh we were the classic like every <laughs> ornament that the kids ever made was on the tree ah. which has turned me against that highly oh, like i i want Structure. Like, my mom gave us all our, like, Christmas ornaments from your we kids, and I'm pretty sure I promptly threw them away, um, <laughs> because I I want my tree to be all symmetrical. Oh like, if it's going to have, if it's going to be red and white, it's going to be red and white. If it's going to have blue, it's going to, like, it, it's not going to have 5,000 colors on it. It's <laughs> going to be, it's going to all make sense. You're so funny. Interesting. I I think that makes sense. Um, I have done that with previous fake trees that I have owned and ornaments that I bought. However, one of the traditions that my parents did between age one to age 21, your 21st birthday was the last time that this happened to you in our family, where each year... Our parents got us an ornament that reflected something big from that year. Once we got to an age where, you know, things in your personality actually stood out and you weren't just like learning to walk. Um, right. So like one year I I did really well in like our school's reading program. And so my mom bought me, you know, an ornament that was kind of like it was a book, um, you know, it was a book ornament one year. I don't know, like English was a really big thing. Like I just liked it a lot. And so I got like a really large, like thick pencil ornament or something that had like something with it. Um, The year I picked up, you know, basketball for the first time, I got a girl shooting a basketball as an ornament. So every year for 21 years, I have handpicked ornaments from my parents and so for all of us, like I did that, my sister did that, our our youngest sister, you know, had that for, I mean, she only had like, you know, two ornaments, but, um, you know, she had that. And so our, amongst that, my parents had like maybe a key pressing of their first home or something like that too. So mm-hmm. that was sort of a fun way. Like we each put up our own and then in our stockings for Christmas Eve, we would get our new ornament for that year and would put it on the tree as a part of like our Christmas Eve tradition. So in the past, I've wanted to do exactly what you do, which, you know, I've got all the same ornaments. They all make sense together. They're sold in like a, a bundle unit and that's amazing because it yep. looks so pretty. Um but now I might be swinging back to the nostalgia, and and I think that's something that I want to implement with my family too, because um, I think it's so fun and it's unique and it's an easy way to kind of fill the tree not not just for the sake of filling it, but filling it with things that like reflect each person individually. If that makes sense, I can see it. Yeah, but I get yours too. Like if it's just like I drew this in kindergarten and it's a cutout of my handprint and I painted it. I could get how I could get how you would be like, I'm not going to keep that. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. If your tree looks like your refrigerator, the rest, like what your refrigerator looks like the rest of the year, then I don't want any part of it. Right. I get right. that. I can understand yeah. that completely. So, okay. Yeah. 
So we're kind of done with that. We go back to the tree lot. Joey is busy at work uh, selling trees, making that money, or trying to until Phoebe comes to Joey's work and interrupt interrupts a sale and he's trying to get the guy who Joey is selling actively to <laughs> to buy one of the dying trees. She is traumatized from her previous experience on the lot and has now made it her sole purpose to try to sell. She becomes a salesperson for the dying trees, essentially is what happens. Right. She wants this guy to buy it and the guy's like, I'm going to go look around. At the same time, Monica shows up and says she's ready to buy her tree. Phoebe's like, this is a great opportunity. I've got the tree you're looking for. And Monica's like, I'm pretty sure that's the tree that I ditched, you know, last year uh, because it looks so horrible. And Phoebe, Phoebe's just, she's having a hard time letting go of this, of this concept. uh, That the pretty trees are the ones that get sold first. Mm -hmm. Uh. And in the midst of that, we we head over to the Brown Bird meeting. We are wrapping up the the sales effort for this holiday season for the Brown Birds. And Ross is standing in for the girl. Now, the girl next to Ross calls him a name. What was that name, Llewellyn? A scrud. <laughs> a scrud. You know what makes me think of this? I don't want no scrubs. <laughs> what if they were saying, I don't want no scrubs? A scrud is a man that can't take over me. Maybe, maybe. I don't want no scrubs. Um, ugh, okay. This, this is tough. A scrud. Oh, no. Okay. In, on a dictionary website. Now it's a free dictionary website. <laughs> I don't know how well this is going to go. A scribe defined uh, in this dictionary, it it's not good, Llewellyn. It is a real or imagined illness, ailment, disease, or infection. But it's also defined as a venereal disease. Also defined as a serious disease, a sexually transmitted disease. That like maybe a six-year-old oh, or no. what, eight-year-old is calling Ross? Oh, no. What? Yeah. There's another slang version where it says filth or refuse, refuse, sorry, filth or refuse that is between a solid and liquid state. <laughs> a portmanteau of scummy crud. So scrud is kind of the the mix up of that. Now, in the Urban Dictionary, uh, which in the Urban Dictionary, the top definition of scrud, it says Ross Geller, um, which is hilarious. So that's the definition listed in Urban Dictionary. But it's also listed as... To treat unfairly or harshly, but also meaning idiot or retarded or stupid, used to describe a person. Hold on, where did it go? One who is annoying or contemptible. 
Um, okay. With this definition, it actually helped me a little because I put in the notes, I said, scrud. Is Chugi the new scrud? But after reading that definition, <laughs> I don't think they're the same things. <laughs> no, I don't. Now, just for those of you out there who are millennials and our younger crowd is going to LOL at us, uh, because <laughs> uh, I just learned what Chugi was like two weeks ago. Um, oh, you're not alone. Me too. I have never heard someone in my you know vicinity say it to me or about me, which I think is a plus, but... Who knows? They might be saying it behind my back. I don't know. You guys who are listening could let us know. Are we chuggy? <laughs> we might be. Um, but really, the idea of it is that it's the opposite of trendy. So it might have been stylish in middle school and high school, but it's no longer in style. It's used when someone still follows, you know, out of date trends. This may include, but might not be limited to fashion, habits on social media, usage of slang, etc. Right. That is right. hilarious. So it's essentially another way to describe, like, the aesthetics, you know, people experiences that are basic. Uh, it was coined by a now 23-year-old white woman in 2013 while a student at Beverly Hills. Of course, Beverly Hills High School. Okay. Beverly Hills High School. They're probably... Uh, never mind. Okay. Uh, it says... It, <laughs> While a student at Beverly Hills High School, on whom the irony is apparently lost, according to the New York Times, chuggy can be used broadly to describe someone who is out of date or trying too hard. So, uh, that's what it is. Interesting. Okay. So they are not the same, but as I was listening to it, I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what scrud means. So I was like, maybe chuggy is the new scrud. Like, maybe they just, like, now's the new rendition of it, but they're not the same thing. So, Anyways, we essentially find out in this roundabout as this, you know, instructor or leader or troop leader, whatever they are called, is finding out the results of all the girls who have gone out and sold these boxes of cookies. And Elizabeth got 871 boxes and Ross is super mad about it. So he decides to take things into his own hands, writes his own tally to literally one up. Elizabeth. Right. But as we quickly switch over to the cafe, we find out that he didn't lose to Elizabeth. He lost to a girl no. who gave her uniform to her older sister and sold 2,000 boxes down, I think, at, like, the Navy Yard, right? As like, yeah. U.S. Fleet something or U.S. Navy something, U.S. whatever. Yeah, it was his, her 18-year-old sister that and like next to that little thing. girl is that's hilariously brilliant oh 100%. would i condone such uh conduct no i'm a very type a personality stick with the rules so that to me would be cheating and she would be disqualified for the competition regardless of the fact that she did sell so many i would say because you did not well i guess then ross would be a loser too i was gonna say ross would that's lose true too. um but I would probably, I mean, I still would stick by that, actually, then. Um, even though, you know, obviously this show wants us to want what Ross to win. Both of them should be definitely disqualified. But I also get the troop leaders probably just 
trying to show that her troop is doing well numbers wise and they have to sell cookies. So um, bad sportsmanship on this uh, girl who handed off her uniform to her older sister. Brilliant, uh, but bad form. Now, Rachel comes in after the interview at about this time and it's not good. She's like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't even hire me. Like, it was terrible. And as Ross is comforting her, he does the exact opposite by telling her that she's mm-hmm. going to go on a thousand interviews before she gets a job. Now, in regular context, that's actually like, essentially, he's trying to say, hey, don't put so much pressure on this one. It happens. Like, you're going to, interviews are a part of life. You're just going to have them. Don't put so much like, don't beat yourself up over this one. But in the yeah. context of what's happening, it was definitely not the right thing to say. No, no. So Rachel essentially wants to go back to serving coffee because she's like, I just blew this interview. This was my one chance. Uh, but she can't go back because Gunther has already hired someone else. And she has waitressing experience. So that obviously, I mean, Rachel technically at this point does too, even though she was getting retrained. I wouldn't say the experiences have been necessarily helpful to her portfolio. And we, I, I guess they're really like just going up to the apartment and the friends, uh, you know, uh, they're walking in Phoebe's kind of in front of the group except for Chandler who opens the door and you can see a little smirk on Chandler's face because he knows what's about to happen. And he's looking at Phoebe as he opens the door because all of the friends have surprised Phoebe with buying all of the dying trees for Christmas. (laughs) And by all, she means an entire apartment full of dead Christmas trees. There are so many trees. I should have tried to count. So I didn't many. even pause to try and count. How, how many Christmas There's trees would you many. guess are in there? Probably at least 10. I would have said 20. Mm, yeah, you're probably right. Because they're dead and it looked full. So you had to stack as many as you could. There were so many Which, trees. There is nothing worse than a dead Christmas tree because you barely touch that thing and all the needles That's fall so off. That's so true. And it is such a mess. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. You're so right. Like, not only does it look pretty, but every, even even the, the smallest gust of air, like when the air turns yep. on, if you've got a tree under that vent, needles are dropping. Oh, yeah. And you're stepping on them for weeks, months, years, Which, because you can't ever get it's them off. The, it's the glitter of the, of the tree category. Uh, and it's the worst. And they're so, like, they're small, but they're so pointy. So they're they sharp hurt. sometimes. Yes. They really do. I bet Mon- uh, the greatest sacrifice uh, for friendship for, uh, I think the biggest win goes to Monica here. Oh, and, 100% because it's her yeah, apartment. And in light of what you just said. Yeah. She's going to have to now not only house these trees for the Christmas holiday, but she's going to constantly be having to clean all of these dead needles off the ground. Yeah, and she's going to hate yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. We don't see that, which would have been a great tag scene, I think. Or, uh, yeah, if this was the one that was in between, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas that they, like, you know, showed. Would have been a great tag scene for one of those. Oh, but, for sure. Uh, yeah. We don't get that, which is fine. 
And as all of the hoopla is going on, a phone call comes in and Rachel got the job. So proud of her. Good job, Rach. Um, I've had that where you're like, gosh, I just think that these this interview is not well. Like, I don't know if they like me. And then all of a sudden they're like, it's actually the opposite. So it you can easily second guess yourself when you're trying to sell yourself, which is exactly what an interview is. Yeah. You're just trying to sell yourself, yeah. which, oh, gosh, I hate it so much. Uh, so back down at the cafe. I mean, they, they're like at the cafe. Then they go upstairs to the apartment. Now they're back down at the cafe. And all of a sudden, Rachel's working. So this this cut scene is like it's really weird timing. Like Rachel wasn't working, but now she is working. I think, right? Yeah. So I don't know if it's just a plot hole or if maybe there just is so much like, happening in the episode that we missed something. Like are or they cutting anything. ahead? But she, but she said in. If you remember back to when she was having her panic attack in the apartment and she's like, I need to send out these resumes and all that stuff and freaking out. She distinctly says, my last day of work is tomorrow. I just need to call Gunther and tell him I'm going to stay. And then cut to the end of the episode and all this stuff has gone by and now she's working her last shift. So it's almost like since that to her getting the interview to her doing the interview... It's like that all happened in like what twelve hours. No, but it seems like it's a two week period, really. Yeah, it seems longer. So I don't know. I think maybe it was just a plot hole. Yeah, that they didn't really think about. Well, or maybe she wasn't supposed to say like tomorrow's my last day. I don't know. Yeah, and as we know with most shows, there are plenty of scenes that get cut that never make it onto the floor that give extra context. I mean. There could be extra scenes in here that give us kind of more of a time frame. Um, But so we're just that's kind of just going to be lost to history, (laughs) sort of. For sure. Um, But it's so like you had said, it is the last night for Rachel to work. Chandler gets the last cup that she's going to serve, which is wrong, which is classic (laughs) for Rachel going out with a bang. Um, And. In what is probably the weirdest scene on the entire series of this show is Rachel making an announcement to the cafe patrons. Yeah, it was a little strange. Nobody does that. It's not like they're all, I mean, sure, there might be people who regular certain cafes, but there, there's no way that you knew enough people in that cafe to make. She was not a great waitress, so therefore no. she would not have the clout or the the buy-in from the patrons to be making this type of announcement to the entire crowd. It just does not make sense to me in this plot at all. Right. And I'm very adamant about it, and I feel like you don't care. <laughs> I don't think it's as big a deal as you're making it, but <laughs> I get where you're coming from. I I will bet, and, and we'll see. You can call it out of me. You can call it out later if this happens. I literally think it's the weirdest scene that we ever see on this show. It just doesn't make sense to me at all. It, it contextually doesn't make sense. Rachel was a horrible waitress. Why would she be making an announcement 
It's not like it's to the servers only. Like, it's not like a team huddle on her last shift. It is to the... That'd be like me at my old serving job. Everybody that's in the restaurant being like, okay, guys, this is my last serving day. Like, nobody there cares. They're literally there just to eat some food, just to drink some coffee. That's true. Yeah. Okay. I get my it. My rant is over. I I'm off it. my soapbox. Um, And... In her statement, she does say, like, I want everyone to know this is my foot in the ground statement. I'll never have to make coffee again. And what happens, Llewellyn? What happens in the very next scene? We cut immediately (laughs) to her new job where the boss or the assistant or somebody is training her on how to make the boss's coffee. And the thing that made me cringe because I love coffee and this is so disgusting is the, according to him, the thing that most people don't know is you can use the filter again. So gross. And just, it it just made me want to throw up because that's disgusting. Don't use the filter again. The filter is what? Like a penny? Like just use a, use another filter for a new cup. Yeah. You get like a pack of like what a hundred or two hundred for like three bucks like it's not that expensive Mm -hmm. and that's now back then it was probably even cheaper Mm -hmm. yeah dang i would say to that just i think the lesson in that little quick scene is just never say never people say often and i think how much longer are we gonna have to say that to ourselves in like retrospect like just don't say never like never say never just don't say it because it might, it might. That's that's the lesson. It might. So, never say never, everybody. Uh, okay. Tag scene. Yes. Once again. Tag scene. Back once again, hallway. this little girl is un- unattended alone. walking into Ross's apartment. Okay, it's not Ross's apartment. It's worse. It's two new guys' apartment who she's never met before. And he's leading right. her into this apartment by herself. <laughs> what the heck? Right, there's no parents. <sighs> we never meet dad. And, like, it still lines up. I get it. It still lines up. But. Right. But. And one would assume. This little girl that needs some stranger danger training. Right. Stranger danger. Um, now, what I will say about the scene is, is it is very sweet and very intentional that not only yeah. has Ross done this, but he somehow managed to grab his two single adult guy friends to also give their time to turn. It's not Ross's apartment that they turned. It's the guy's apartment that they turned into a miniature space camp just for her. Now, the sentiment here is very sweet, and I will not deny oh, that it's at all. wonderful. I mean, they covered the couch with tinfoil. They used soccer balls as planets spinning around. They turned off the lights real low. And, like, it is very cute. Very cute idea. Yeah. He was very sorry that he did not get her to be the winner. Although, if it wasn't for that, you know, 2000 box, you know, 18-year-old uh sister then he probably would have won regardless of the fact that he had to buy a lot of his own boxes um 
because he was in the 500s and the girl sold 871. So he had another 300 that he was behind. But regardless of that, he didn't win. He did a good thing. It was very sweet. Yeah. Uh, anything else about that? No. Okay. Uh, so a couple takeaways is never lead an underaged, unattended child into a dark apartment that she's not familiar with. Uh, I think the second one is never say never. never. Say never. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Those are our two takeaways. A couple of little fun factoids. <laughs> factoids because that's very space themey. Um, it's not. I'm kidding. Terry, the owner of Central Park, uh, obviously you guys remember from our previous friends. They're not previous friends. We're still friends connected with them. Two Star Podcast who talk about Terry and their conspiracy theory on him as the owner of central perk uh fun fact it is um the last time that he is mentioned on the series uh at the very beginning yeah at the very beginning it was gunther who said terry would like you to be retrained so this is his last mention as the owner of central perk as you remember his last appearance was in the one with the baby on the bus which ironically was also done with two star. Look at that circle. Oh, that's just that Full just circle. I love that. That that fills uh, pieces of my heart about how full circle that is. That's so perfect. Yeah. Um, this episode is unofficially also known as the one with the Christmas trees and or the one with the cookies. And then as a kind of a final point, um, after it does say after three years, Rachel finally quits her uh, waitressing job. So it was three total years. A couple more. The plastic canary whistle that Sarah the brown bird blows must be filled with water to work. It would have leaked if it were hung around her neck as shown. I did not know that about that whistle. Interesting that you'd have to fill it with water. I didn't either. And a few more. When Ross is at the Brownbird meeting, the patches on the leader's sash are Boy Scout merit badges. Traitor. Um, so not on point at all. Uh, and not even, not even gender on, at least back in, I'm saying back in the day, people, calm down. Even back in the, like, those were not accurate, obviously. Now, as the final one today, Ross tells the others, here's here's kind of the recap to this. Ross tells the others that he lost the cookie sale contest because of the girl gave her uniform to her older sister, who then sold cookies to sailors on the USS Nimitz. However, the USS Nimitz was not in New York City in December 96 when the show was broadcast. Instead, she was assigned to the specific fleet and in port at uh, Bremerton, Washington at the time. So those are, those are, those are my fun facts for this episode. Um, all right. Episode rating system. What do you think of this Christmas episode? Uh, what do I never think about this? When we get to I this had point? the same thought in my brain, right? As you said it. Um, 
I think I'm gonna give this one. Uh, I, th- <laughs> I think I'm gonna do. We were on a break. What? Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so low. Why is that so low? I was gonna say unagi, Expl- like explain, right in the middle. Explain yourself. I don't know. I'm I'm a tween. I'm like a four and a half. Can I be like a we were on a break unagi? <laughs> um, or just make up my own. Just, um, just make it up. <laughs> It's like uh, come up it's with like another. The, uh, the the games are made up and the points don't matter. Is that whose line is it anyways? Isn't what that was? Yeah, I think so. Anyways, um, I mean, it was a funny episode, and it was a it, there was a lot of good points, and I think there was a lot of like life lessons in it as mm-hmm. well um, that we've talked about. But I just think like overall, like it wasn't. <coughs> I mean, it does carry carry it forward like Rachel finally quits her job and um like that's really the only thing that carries forward but I don't know it just it wasn't my favorite episode like it's not one that like I go back and I have to watch again if that makes sense and the fact that it's a holiday episode as well um like it it just isn't one of the ones I remember and maybe I'm also saying that because it just came off of one of the most iconic football episodes or um Thanksgiving episodes but because I think that one thing Friends did well was their Thanksgiving episodes. Um, oh, for sure. So maybe maybe I'm, like, kind of basing it off that, too. But that's what I would say. I'm, like, a... F- we were on a break Unagi point. I'm going to just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Um, I would give it a how you doing. Um... I don't know. I think I generally liked it. I think I liked that the friend surprised Phoebe. I do like that Rachel is moving in the direction that we see her for pretty much the rest of the series moving forward, even though she has some like, you know, job issues in the future. And we're we're getting her in the direction of her new independent Rachel self, you know, that's not not that she doesn't struggle in the future, but we're just getting more into Rachel being Rachel. Um, I I also like, I think what's interesting is that the body of the episode I'm not thrilled with in the sense of like, yeah, it's all entertaining, but like, meh. It's the end that almost supersedes the rest of the episode for me in the sense that the friends surprise Phoebe and the guys surprise this girl with this super sweet space camp um, because, you know, Ross couldn't win it for her. And they're like, they went out of their way to bring joy. And it, and it is like a Christmas episode. So you've got, you know, you know, you know, joy, happiness, like you want to be generous towards others and all the things. So I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time basing it low because it ends on such a high note to me and I think that's where it's really hard to rate this episode because the whole first like 18 minutes you're like meh it's okay it's okay and then all of a sudden in the last like three minutes you're like oh that's so cute oh that's so cute and then all of a sudden that supersedes the whole rest of the episode for me so that's that's why I would give it a high note um okay post show wrap up recommend 
to yes. a friend. Yes. Uh, I do have one. <gasps> what? Do you have one? I do. And now it's a rarity with me, guys. <laughs> that just um, means it's extra special when you have one. I don't know that it's extra <laughs> special, but here we are. Um, <coughs> it's not really like any one thing. But I, and I'm, it, this is probably old news, but y'all, it, I'm 30 years old and it's happening. Um, I finally, in 30 years, visited for the first time an Ikea store, like in person. Wow. Um, and now I do understand, like, I've never, I've never bought anything from Ikea that's like, assembly required because i know that they get a lot of flack for having the worst instructions and like you know people love their stuff but they hate putting it together i've heard all the stuff but their stores guys if you've never been in an ikea like they're just and maybe it's just the way that i'm wired and the way that i like things but like the fact that they have like rooms set up so you can like envision a space like I can't tell you how many spaces I walked in and I was like this is exactly what I want like I want my kitchen to look Mm. just like this I love the colors like the lighting in here everything like I literally saw all these things I'm like this is what I want my future houses to look like um but then so you you spend the time doing this and then you get to go pick up all the stuff and you literally take it home with you that day which I think is just to me it's like amazing um, so my recommend is if you have an Ikea close to you, I recommend going, even just walking through and like experiencing it for yourself. Cause I think it's incredible. And it's like a day thing, guys. Like I think we spent maybe five hours there. Um, granted we did get lunch cause you can like halfway through, you can get lunch or whatever. So we did do that coffee, the whole nine yards. Um, and I didn't buy anything massive, <laughs> But I did buy a few little things. And their prices are incredible. Like, you think of, like, some of the furniture. And, and it's not the best stuff on the planet. But it's decent. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, like, priced very nicely. So that's another bonus is that it won't break your bank if you want to decorate your bedroom or your living room or whatever space. So if you have an Ikea near you and you've always wanted to go visit, I highly recommend. Grab a friend a family member and just go visit an ikea store that's a great recommend to a friend good job i try sometimes um my recommend to a friend is jogger pants (laughs) oh girl they are the best i don't know why i waited so long i can literally wear them as sweatpants while i sleep or tuck in a cute shirt and like a little pair of like maybe thicker based heels like short heels and it like somehow dresses it up I am obsessed with these pants now I did splurge and I got them from Lululemon yes uh they're amazing they're my I think I wear them six out of the seven days per week and not outside, but as, like, my pants for, like, the night. When I get home and change out of jeans, the first thing I put on is these joggers. They're so comfortable. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine working out in them unless it's maybe colder outside and I'm going on, like, a longer walk. Um, so not saying that they're not workoutable. 
I just, I like my things thin and like lightweight, but for lounge around your house, joggers are, oh, they're the I best. don't, I don't know why it, I don't know why I waited so long. They're amazing. Um, okay. As you had, um, oh, before, sorry, before we move to the next week, we'll cover, um, social media spotlight. Shout out to our, yes. shout out to our woman, Beth Hopwood. Um, Beth, Beth. You know what Woo-hoo. I was thinking? I was thinking that we need like a little what? segment to bring Beth on the show and just oh, l- give yes. her like, like a quick, I don't know, like minute, two minute, three minute to tell us her thoughts about a particular episode. So Beth, I know you're listening. Uh, let us know if that's something you'd be interested in. Because yes. um, there's some new elements within Anchor where we could connect with you and have you guest feature on a show um, without needing it to be like live and like ready to go, but would give us the opportunity. Um, I just think that would be really cool. So if you're not like super shy or, you know, you write to us all the time, which you're my social media spotlight tonight, which is perfect. So, um, but yeah, let us know if that's something you'd be interested in. And for the rest of you. Yes. The reason that we're considering Beth is, one, she interacts with us a lot, and we love that. We love hearing from you guys. Obviously, we've social media spotlighted a lot of you, so we greatly appreciate any type of reach out that you give us. Um, We like, you know, just hearing from you guys and introducing or getting you introduced to us. We like connecting with you. Wow, that was really hard to say. Okay. Um, I'm making this a really easy sell for (laughs) y'all. Yikes. Uh, but also, Beth is a contributor to us through Anchor, um, so she um, contributes monthly to us, so of course we are eternally grateful for that. She solely helped us purchase our second mic that we needed for Llewellyn and myself to be able to record separately, but not have my audio seem like I'm in a tunnel um, somewhere in, I don't know, somewhere else. So, thank you. Yes, thank, thank you, Beth, you, Beth, for our mic. Hopefully, hopefully we soothe you with our voices now better. <laughs> it's <laughs> creepy. Um, okay, but anyways, Beth is our social media spotlight. She reached out. Um, it's been a while, and I just haven't, I haven't like gotten around to putting it in the social media because there were a lot of people who we backlogged like forever ago. So I'm finally getting around to it, Beth. You reached out after our episode on the one with the metaphorical tunnel. And you said, hi, I love the home video of Ross and Monica so much in this episode and have always thought the boy really looked like Ross. So the young boy at the very end, it was in the tag scene where he's playing dress up and singing the song that Monica makes fun of in the episode. Um, so the guy who played Ross... His name is Edo Ezran, did not continue to act, but is a lawyer now, so he's fairly easy to track down. I've attached a comparison of him as an adult alongside David Schwimmer. Pretty close. (laughs) Guys, it is really close. (laughs) They both have these, like, long faces and very prominent noses, and they've both got dark features, and their chins are the same, their mouth is the same. Guys, you have to Google Edo Azran. His name is spelled E-D-O, 
and then his last name, A-Z-R-A-N. Again, he's a lawyer now, so he should be prominent online. Uh, Edo, is it Edo? Oh, I'm going to hate myself if I get that wrong. Um, if you're listening, because no obviously you are, because we're so popular, um, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> I started saying it and was like, I don't know what I want his action step to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'd obviously want to interview him to see what his time on the show was like. Um, all his scenes yeah. were separate from the friends. So like, did you have any interaction with them at all? Um, obviously he's listening, um, uh, or as close friends are. So <laughs> reach out to us. Um, anyways, Beth, thank you for the picture. Llewellyn and I definitely think, I mean, I thought he looked a lot like him. Oh, he yeah. does. He really does. You know what he kind of actually like, he's kind of a mix of like, um, David Schwimmer and Adam Sandler. Yes. Oh my. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Like a, that is a blend. that is so perfect. I think he was a shoe in for Young Ross. I think that is a very yeah. great. Um, uh, yeah, great point out, Beth, for making us you know bring attention to that. So, um, yeah. So that was from again Beth Hopwood. Our. Um, one of our, our favorite friends. Uh, yeah, Beth, action step. Reach out to us. Let us know if you'd be interested in being featured on an episode. We'd love to talk to you about the details. So uh, next week, we're going to cover the one where Chandler, speaking of Llewellyn, the one where Chandler can't remember which sister. For some reason, I thought yes. that happened way later in the series, but nope. I guess not. It's now. It's coming it's up coming next. Up. All right, guys. We will catch you next week on the One with Friends podcast. Bye.